This is Evan from Denver, and I'd rather look at a leaning IKEA table than listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Hello, and thank you for joining us on this 179th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, the lovely lady who is afraid of sounds of which she's not familiar. This is quite the intro. Brittany Page. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, it should. this should give some indication to our loyal listening audience just how little it rains in Southern California. Mm. <laughs> because not five minutes ago, before the mics went hot, there was this sound that was coming from outside, and Brittany got, I don't want to say alarmed, I think that would be amping up her response a little bit, but she was, what is that? What, what's that sound? What's happening? And I replied, it's raining. Okay, so what it sounded like <laughs> was being on the, the Universal Studios ride where like the flood happens. <laughs> If anybody has been on that, where you're on the tram, right? And right. you're going through how the like subway. movies are made. Yeah. And they take you on this, you know, little adventure and you get to experience a, a flood happening. And it kind of sounded like a major flood was happening. So, yes, that is what it sounded like. And I was a bit alarmed. You were you were very alarmed. A bit. It was rain. A bit. Water was falling from the sky. Doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently you're you're so unaccustomed to that sound that you were freaked out. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we get started, 657-464-7609. Of course, that is our number. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We also very graciously except normal emails at that email address. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I noticed something weird today, driving on this glorious Sunday morning. It's not morning anymore, but I noticed a couple yards in the neighborhood around here that have no trespassing signs, like on the gate leading to the backyard. Yes. And I find that to be weird. It Be- is kind of weird. Because trespassing, it's already illegal. Right. It's like having a no kidnapping sign on your front door. Yeah, it's like, please don't burn down this house. <laughs> right. There's already a law against that. Yeah, we know that we shouldn't be going into your backyard. We know we shouldn't be on your property. You don't need to have a sign that says that. It's weird, right? It's I mean- kind of like an added measure, I guess. Like reminding someone who's getting ready to trespass. Hey, remember, yeah. there's no trespassing. Right. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, that's the only thing I could think that it would be useful for would be to alert someone who might all getting ready to, you know, commit the act of trespass. 
uh-huh. do so. Mm-hmm. But like, if they're going to fucking trespass, if they're going to if they're going to rob you, if they're going to kidnap, if they're going to steal, a sign, a friendly reminder doesn't seem to me to be the thing to get the job done. Well, maybe not. Maybe they are getting ready to, and then they see the sign, and they're like, oh, <laughs> damn it. Just a change of heart. Yeah. Because of the sign you went down to Home Depot and bought. Yeah. Damn it. I can't trespass. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, I, I don't know if anybody else has had this thought before, but I'm sure someone has. It it's is, not no, super original. It is, it is an original thought. Anyway, no one else has ever had wow, the thought. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is... That is most most aggressive of you, Brittany Page. Is this a a harbinger of things to come for this episode? This one hundred seventy ninth episode. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so last episode, we talked about a segment that Brittany and I want to do, kind of like a dear Prudy, like a a write-in questions, not an advice column, but something similar to that, where someone, you can ask us questions about our lives, about our opinions on things we don't maybe necessarily cover on the show, about whatever, uh, what our favorite fucking color is. Like, you know, adults have favorite colors, I guess. Anyway, that kind of thing. And I put a call out to the audience to help us come up with a name. And holy shit, we have... All kinds of suggestions. Some are kind of right along the line of what I was thinking, and others are also as good. I was almost ready to. <laughs> I was almost ready to shit on the earnest efforts of our loyal, lovely listening audience. I was scared. That would not be good. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just alternate? Because we've got the list. We both have the list, and we'll alternate reading. Do you not have the list? I don't. Okay. Then I'll just read a few. Perfect. Uh, wouldn't you like to know with Jesse and Brittany? Questions from the doubters. I'd like to know with Jesse and Brittany. What's the deal with Jesse and Brittany? I, I like that one a lot because I'm not S- Seinfeldian with the, what's the deal with these people? I don't. But I am like, yeah, what the, what's the deal with that? Mm-hmm. I do often use that turn of phrase. You do. Yeah. So uh, FAQs from the FANs, like the fans. I, I typically shy away from calling our listeners fans. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why. It just seems, it seems a little pretentious. You should have read that one last. <laughs> All right. No. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Dolomore digestion. What's your question? Like a little, almost a rhyme. You yeah, know? it's a little schoolhouse rocky. <laughs> um, what's your question? Let's make some progression. Mm-hmm, more schoolhouse rock. Little, little, little bit more schoolhouse rock. <laughs> uh, drop a question and we'll drop some knowledge. Oh my God. Put, put a Kanye beat to that. <laughs> Uh, wise cracks from the wise ass or wise asses. Mm, come on now. <laughs> we want more from Dollamore. Oh, that's good. And then there, this person sent a bunch with the rhymes. We implore with Dollamore. Let's explore with Dollamore. Get to the core with Dollamore. <laughs> and Dollamore has an answer for you. Ooh. <laughs> 
anyway, I, I thought some of those were were worthy of consideration, certainly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you also have a, a suggestion, if this has maybe primed the thought pump, the idea, stirred your creative juices, so to speak, don't hesitate to let us know. Get on the Facebook page. Email us at idoubtedatdollamore.com. Tweet at us at idoubtedpodcast or call the the faithful, always there for you, hopefully in your speed dial, voicemail line, 657-464-7609. Now, before we move on with the program, I would like to have Brittany, I was going to say read, but I'm not going to do that, read a listener voicemail. I think it's related to our NyQuil talk last time, is it not? It is, yes, because I drank some NyQuil. On the show. If you listened to last episode and didn't make it to the last, like, a minute and a half, <laughs> you missed out because Brittany, live on the air, drank NyQuil and lived to tell about it. Yes, it wasn't that great, so don't worry about it. But okay, so we got an email from Mark, and he says, why NyQuil tastes so yuck. I actually know this. I listened to a podcast called Reason, and one of the hosts almost had his PhD in chemistry before deciding his thesis was stupid and dropping out of the program. (laughs) Both are smart guys, and they did an episode on cough syrup. I fact-checked everything prior to typing this up. Good, Mark, because I'm not fact-checking what you wrote here, so we're just trusting you. Uh Uh-oh. Is that dangerous? (laughs) Is this a dangerous... Are we treading on thin ice? No. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Early cough syrups contained heroin, as it was believed to be non-addictive. Once it was found that it was addictive, they switched to meth. Wait, wait. Heroin's addictive? Mm-hmm. Come on. Once that was found to be addictive... That's they, a government conspiracy. They switched it to DXM, which, guess what, was found to be addictive. But, eh, they couldn't really find anything else that was good at suppressing coughs. People were just chugging cough syrup then because DXM is addictive and is a hallucinogen. DXM is very bitter and gross. They also added another chemical that would make you sick. So if the prescription is two units of DXM and you could get high off 10 units of DXM, this chemical would make you sick at like five units. Its purpose was to make you puke because too much DXM will kill you. They don't flavor it because they don't want people chugging this shit. Now for the scary thing. (laughs) Well, they flavor it. It's just terrible flavor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are four things that have been found to cause physical micro holes in the brains of rats. Cocaine, ecstasy, DXM, and alcohol. Not sure on humans, though. That is a pretty difficult study to do. I think there are more things than that. And I think it also (laughs) happens in humans. (laughs) Um, I'm catching up on episodes slowly. I quit driving OTR and spent three months looking for a good local job where I'll be home every night. I didn't listen to any podcasts during those three months. So I'm How dare you, sir. So I'm working on catching up now while I drive. <laughs> I keep getting into arguments on Facebook about guns. Friends keep posting about how Obama wants to ban all guns and shit. It drives me crazy. I don't know anyone that wants a complete ban on guns. I would like more regulation, better background checks, training required, time on the range, maybe something mental. <laughs> I can walk into a Walmart right now. And- we, we need to test the holes in the brain <laughs> from DMX, alcohol, cocaine, ecstasy and uh and nyquil (laughs) did you say dmx i don't know dxm whatever 
Um, You're reading the email. I don't have the email in front of me. I'm going off of this this steel trap of a memory. Okay, going to Walmart walkout 30 minutes later with a loaded gun. There also have to be some regulations on type types of weapons you can have. My neighbor is one of those guys that has five kids ranging from four to 16. His 16-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son both have AR-15s in their rooms. The other kids keep pistols or rifles in their rooms. He keeps pistols under cabinets and stuff. Totally crazy. He also thinks he should be allowed to own a nuke if he had the money. Sadly, I know a lot of people like <laughs> Like that. You must be a, a nuclear physicist, a scientist, to be able to harness the power of the atom. Mm-hmm. He says, I could rant on and on about the crazy shit I see on Facebook, as most of my friends are hard over Trump. Glad to finally be listening to you again. Are there any good Republican candidates that aren't fucking nutty? I had hopes for John Kasich, but that was blown away with his Department for Judeo-Christian Values. Then it was Jeb, but his whole gun, nuttery, and suspected terrorism's pass. Why are they all fucking crazy? This is Mark saying this. Yes. The only reason I want Hillary to win is so that when I hear feminists talk about the patriarchy, I can just show them a picture of her. Well, I'm well de- hey, how, hang on. Hey, listen, <laughs> you, if you're going to be doing that, that would indicate to me that you maybe were one of those people that said, well, look, there's no more racism because Obama's president. That's that logic doesn't hold up. Come on. You're an I doubt it with Dollamore listener. You're better than that. Am I a little too preachy right now? Uh, <laughs> no. No, that was great. Welp, I'm done rambling. Love the show. And just to let you know, Jesse, Brittany is the best part. Sorry, buddy. Mark. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. I Bye. always have it at the ready. Mm-hmm. Always. Thank you for your email, Mark. We always appreciate hearing from our loyal listener base, not fandom, right? Uh, whatever, whatever, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever, yes. That is an articulate answer given by the lovely Brittany Page. Let's move on to a little bit of follow-up we talked about last time. Antonin Scalia, Supreme Court Justice of these United States, sat on the bench and said some very racially charged, if not full-blown racist comments from the bench and we actually now have the audio of said comments. There are, there are those who contend that it does not benefit African Americans to, to get them into the University of Texas where they do not do well, uh, as opposed to having them go to a less uh, advanced school, a, less, a, a slower track school where they do well. Uh, one, of, one of the briefs uh, uh, pointed out that uh, that most of the most of the black uh, scientists in this country don't come from schools like the University of Texas. So th- this they court from lesser schools where they do not feel uh, that they're uh, that they're being pushed ahead in, in classes that are too too fast for them. This so, court, so I, you know, I'm, I'm just not impressed by the fact that that the University of Texas may have fewer. Maybe it ought to have fewer. And maybe some, you know, when you take more, the number of blacks, really competent blacks admitted to lesser schools, turns out to be less. And, and I, I don't think it, it, it stands to reason that it's a good thing for the University of Texas to admit as many blacks as possible. I just don't think. And this court heard and rejected that argument 
with respect, Justice Scalia, in the Grutter case, the case this, our opponents haven't asked this court to overrule. If you look at the academic performance of holistic minority admits versus um, uh, top 10 percent admits over time, they, they fare better. And frankly, I don't think the solution to the problems with student body diversity can be to set up a system in which not only are minorities going to separate schools, they're going to inferior schools. I think what experience shows at Texas, California, and Michigan is that now is not the time, and this is not the case, to roll back student body diversity in America. Thank you, Your Honors. I, I, I got to commend that lawyer the counselor there at the end because he's listening to Antonin Scalia rant like a racist on his porch with a shotgun Mm -hmm. and rather than when Scalia is finally done you know that his his the 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 yearning response within him was wait what are you (laughs) are you fucking kidding me right what how many times did you just word use the words they in schools where they do not do well. They need to be in slower t- track schools where they do well. Where they do well. C- creating a very um, hard distinction between right. the races. And he's not. it's not even like talking about a specific group of like underperforming black students or something. Because don't get me wrong, I don't. I don't really have a problem with him using the word blacks. Well, even, it's no, not that language. It's the they. It's the exclusionary language. Right, and he's he's also not talking about like what you're saying. Those who live in poverty, right? He's not drawing a distinction between right, it's certain types of environmental factors. No, he's basing his argument on race, and that's it. Right. It's no, you know, these this this group of people that are born to drug addicts, these this group of people that are living in poverty. He's not saying any of that. It's just this total generalization based on one's skin color. Yeah. Very Again, I was I'm more shocked now. I thought that maybe once the the the, the audio came out because there isn't any video recording in chamber in the Supreme Court proceedings. But I thought once the audio was released, it might soften my response to this. And it did no- nothing of the sort. It, it just it, it emboldens what a maniac he really is. Right. And there have been, um, you know, those like petition sites. Yeah. Like change.org. Yeah. And all that. There's yeah. petitions now going around asking for him to be um, taken off the Supreme oh, Court come on. for for making this this statement because they said there's no room for racism on the Supreme Court. <laughs> um, anyway, not everybody who says something that's unpopular or shitty should be removed from their position. It's that's come on. Anyway, well, he'll also probably be dead soon. That but is true. I, He's like 78 years old. I would. I think. 79. Didn't oh, okay. we say that last I, time? I don't know. I don't we looked remember. it up. I'm not going to Google it again. Okay. So <laughs> I want to address Mark because um, he talked about the patriarchy thing and I just kind of laughed it off, but I don't want people to like listen and then be like bummed that I didn't say anything. So um, just to make it clear, um, just because Hillary Clinton, if she does become president, it doesn't mean that there's you know no such thing as patriarchy or that women are in a uh, inferior position in society. Those just because she's going to be president. Um, just because she's going to be president. If she becomes president, Page <laughs> campaigning for Hillary Clinton behind the mic. If she becomes president. No, no, no. When Hillary Clinton is the next president of these United States, everybody heard you. Okay. 
<laughs> because the same argument could be made right now for Angela Merkel, who has been the German chancellor for um, a long time. Sure, yeah. And so you could say, well, look at Angela Merkel. She's been running Germany for how long? See, right. there's no such thing as patriarchy. Yeah, it's like pointing to Sarah Silverman and saying, see, women are finally funny. When we everybody knows that's not true. Huh. Why do you need to play that? Everyone knows I don't agree with that. Jesse Dollamore are solely those of Jesse Dollamore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. I'm clearly making a joke. I obviously think women are always hilarious, especially when they try to be funny and fail miserably. I... Don't understand what's happening with this dickholishness right now. I don't even know. I just I drew an analogy and thought it'd be funny to say. Okay, because so. I'm real funny. Oh. So, yep, we all know that. We all know that. <laughs> all right, let's let's move on to a topic that we've we've addressed many times on the show. The first show ever. Yeah, we actually did talk. Well, not specifically about. The, the the Merry Christmas thing. Well, I'm just talking about we're about to criticize an atheist right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes we, as atheists, level criticism at our fellow atheists because it is warranted. I think oftentimes we do. Um, David Silverman was on with Stuart Varney on the Fox Business Channel. And they were talking about, among many things, they were talking about this Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays thing. And... I just want to say who David Silverman is. Really oh yeah, quick. please, please. He's the president of American Atheists. That's right, a nonprofit organization that supports the rights of atheists. Yes, which is it's yeoman's work. It is it is quality, uh, substantive work that they do, and I wouldn't take anything away. But I have long had an issue with the the messaging and the optics coming out of American Atheists. Uh, American Humanist Association, our very first show, episode numero uno, we talked about a a roadside, hastily put up roadside memorial where a, a kid had been hit by a car. And the family was putting up these little white crosses with flowers that you see. And the American Humanist Association brought a lawsuit against a local community here in Southern California to get them to take those down, to not allow those. And I just think that that is a poor use of time and resources. That's not the issue that needs to be tackled. Well, right, because you have people like Raif Badawi, who, yes. um, you know, which we actually should report follow up on that. He was moved to um, another location. Right. And, and so this- the claim of a suspended sentence might not be on the up and up. Right, because this this new location is where they take people that are not going to be released. Yeah. Um, and so his family's kind of unsure as to what this move means, and they think they're backtracking on what they were saying, and it's it's uh, a lot of confusion going on. But back to what I was saying, you have people like Raif Badawi. You have these um, atheist bloggers that are being hacked to death in Bangladesh, and you are concerned about a roadside memorial with a cross. You are concerned about people saying Merry Christmas. There are bigger issues here. Right. Well, there are bigger issues even within the the, the framework of our country. We don't even have to reach outside of the borders of the United States, and there are bigger fish to fry than 
a couple of sticks that are nailed together in the form of a cross where people go to remember someone who died that they loved. Right. Like the fact that people will not vote for an atheist president. And I have, you know, just a hunch that David Silverman and and what we're going to play for you in a couple of minutes here. This does not go far in encouraging people to trust atheists. Right. There's no surprise that people think atheists are dickholes when they see performances like this. Over the weekend, I gave money to the Salvation Army twice. I put a dollar in the bucket, you know, and the, the bell ringer said, happy holidays. Now, the Salvation Army is a Christian charity, so why not say Merry Christmas? I was told they don't want to offend anyone. Why would... Why would anyone be offended by Merry Christmas, even if they don't celebrate it? Come on. Joining us now is David Silverman. He is the president of American Atheist. David, welcome back. Good to have you. Thank you very much for having me back on the show. Merry Christmas, David. Happy holidays, Stuart. <laughs> Are you offended? Uh, a little bit, because you what, know... Wait, wait, wait. You're a big guy. No, no, let me you're, big, you. you're six foot tall. You're 200 uh, pounds, for God's sake. And, and you, you know... You are... Wait you a second. Wait a second. I'm not Are, an are not you offended? You're offended? Stuart. Come on. If you know I don't celebrate the holiday and you say Merry Christmas, of course it's meant to offend. No. Yes, it is. So, now, but the salvation okay, if I was a total different. stranger, I'm a, I'm okay. a total stranger. I so the, 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 I'm the, full of goodwill. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Are you, you know offended? What? A little. And I'll a tell you little? why. What do you mean? Uh, How can you explain. possibly be offended? Let me Merry explain. Christmas. Let me explain. Go. It presumes Christianity. And that's why the Salvation Army has changed their tune. This Christian organization no. has realized that... There's nothing of the sort. No, it does. Nothing the Christian of the organization has, has realized that inclusiveness is good ethics and good business. And saying happy holidays without the presumption of Christianity it includes the Jews, the Muslims, the atheists who donate to their okay. cause. It's a good idea, and it's good ethics, too. I think you lost point number one on the grounds that a man like you could not possibly be offended about the mere words. But let me move on to point number two. We're not going to talk about point number two. However, I would... I w- let's take it further. Let's take his train of thought further that you're, it's exclusionary language of those who don't uh, celebrate your particular holiday. What if you don't celebrate any holidays and you say happy holidays? Are we supposed to uh, walk on eggshells around people who don't celebrate holidays too? Mm-hmm. Is that offensive to people who don't celebrate holidays? Come on. Wh- where do we stop this madness? Right. Well, starting from the beginning, when Stuart Varney said that he was, you know, he was obviously concerned enough to ask why this person wasn't saying Merry Christmas and instead saying Happy Holidays. One, why does it matter if someone is saying Happy Holidays? Like, right. he took the time to be like, I'm going to investigate what's well, going on here. He works for the Fox News machine, so he, you know, he's a dickhole. Right. Stuart Barney is <laughs> certainly not someone I'm sticking up for here. Right. So, well, I'm just saying that it opened with stupid <laughs> um stupidity yeah, yeah, just sure. that was a dumb question but then for david silverman to say yes that statement is meant to offend if you know that i don't celebrate christmas i wrote that very thing down meant to offend Come it is on. it's just a a greeting you know merry christmas yeah, if, listen if a jew have a good time if a jew says to me happy hanukkah i'm not like oh, how dare he or she oh my god yeah. that is that is outrageous that they would say, I don't celebrate Hanukkah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right on. Hey, thank you. Right. What does it matter? You, you celebrate Hanukkah? I don't, but yeah, right on. Happy your holiday. Cool. Yeah. Why does it matter at all? The messaging is off. The optics are bad. They're not, 
they're not fighting the right battles. When there are so many worthy battles to fight, they choose this one to go on national TV, internationally seen, and say, yeah, I'm a little offended because it presumes Christianity. Who fucking cares if it presumes Christianity? It is a, it is a national holiday. Christmas is a federal holiday. Right. So here's how, you, how we solve this problem. Happy Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. <laughs> the problem solved. Nope. We're not doing Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. You are not saying it right. Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Happy Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Anyway, that is. No. Nope. Problem solved. I'm not going to get behind that movement. Okay. That is terrible. Well, you're missing out. Anyway, I'd love to have David Silverman on and kind of get his take on exactly what he's going for here because there's got to be some underlying strategy that he's thought about because he's not a dumb guy well listen i mean american atheists that association they're the ones that are putting you know the billboards up in times square saying you don't need to pray this holiday like reject god this holiday i mean they're always doing things that seriously do not help this cause from a Um, public relations standpoint Right. I it's mean, that just good. upsets people. Right. Really, it's just upsetting. And it makes it makes the atheists look angry. That is the stereotypical view of atheists, that they're angry, they're bitter. And when you're you're putting this messaging out there and constantly complaining about things that don't matter, then right. this is the public perception. And it's going to only continue to grow rather than lessen where it relates to the stigma. Absolutely. It's like a it's like a form of crying wolf. Yes. So when something really does happen that does need to be addressed, that does warrant an, an earnest conversation, everyone's going to turn a, a, a deaf ear to it because, you know, it's the same guy who's offended if you tell him Merry Christmas. Right. Because it, quote unquote, presumes Christianity. Right. There goes David Silverman again talking about whatever, <laughs> you know. Right. And so, he might be saying something important, but that would be the reaction. For those of you out there, I don't know how many of our audience are faithful but not all of us atheists are rabid, foaming at the mouth, screaming maniacally about every little minuscule detail that doesn't fall within our particular worldview. Well, also, Christmas is like the best time at Trader Joe's. They have the <laughs> most delicious even better, snacks. Even, even better than, than Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. With the cavalcade of pumpkin products? Oh, yeah. No. Christmas is way better. You walk in there, and it is all kinds of delicious, delicious snacks. It is only Brittany Page. She has a very unique ability to... We are having an earnest, vivacious (laughs) conversation (laughs) about something with great intellectual content, and you have no... It is an amazing thing that you can pivot... (laughs) So quickly to Trader Joe's snacks. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> right on. Well, listen, we want to hear from you about this. I know we have a large atheist, non-believing, agnostic type of uh, audience, and I want to hear from you. I, whether you guys agree with us or if you think we're off base, of course, we always want to talk about things in the spirit of moving the conversation forward, even when you disagree. We want to hear from you. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. 
You can contribute per episode, as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward, one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. And once again, just a reminder, this Tuesday, the 15th, is the last GOP, the last Republican debate of this year. Not the last one total, but the last one of 2015. And I have the uh, the list of candidates that made the main stage. There was some controversy over whether or not Rand Paul would make it in. And we will hold that until the Dollamocracy segment. Oh. Because I've got clips to play about the debate. <laughs> I almost ruined things. <laughs> anyway, so if you'd like to take part in those debates with us and join in that conversation in our analysis... Just go to patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore, and we'd love to have you on board with our growing list and and group of uh, supporters. And just so everyone knows, I have a feeling that this debate... Again, that is a topic... Is going to be crazy. That we're going to talk about. No, we're still talking about it right now. I have a feeling that it's going to be crazy. Okay, so just a little feeling that I have... <laughs> Okay, so I, I think you're going to want right in now, on it, is listen, what I'm saying. I think what's happening right now is you... I'm excited. No, I know you're excited, but I think you're wanting to get that opinion on the, on the record before I have a chance to. <laughs> I think that's what... You might not know it, but I think that's what's happening. Okay. And I also agree with you. And I think I probably said it before you, but now you're just saying No, it. no. <laughs> that's not true. All right. All right, moving on. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So over the course of the last couple episodes, we have talked about the fact that Donald Trump would like to have a national registry of all Muslims who are currently in the country with an ID system like the Jews had in, night, in the 1930s in Germany where they had to wear the Star of David to identify themselves as Jews. And there's been a lot of concern over you know, him being asked if this is constitutional, and he's quick to say, hey, this doesn't apply to uh, citizens that are already here. Those ones were, will be under surveillance. Right, right. It's just blocking the ones who aren't <laughs> here yet. That's literally what he says. Right. I love the Constitution. I don't know anything about the Fourth Amendment, but I love the Constitution. Surveillance. So Donald Trump was on with Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday this week. And goddamn, it is, if it wasn't so tragic and dangerous and real, a real and present danger, it would be funny. Donald Trump explained when asked exactly how he planned the details of implementing his ban. And this was his answer. Let's talk practically about practically okay, about fine. how your plan would work. Someone wants to come to the U.S. How do you find out if they're Muslim? Do you ask them? Uh, you, no, you do more than that. You have a surveillance system and you check things and you have papers and you have documents and you go through a process, which we don't do very well right now. Uh, oh, oh, my God. Well, he, he completely turned me around, Brittany Page. Yeah, you check things. Who knew? I didn't know that was what he was going to do. That he's going to have surveillance and documents and check things. Well, 
Why didn't you say so before Donald Trump? That If I'd known that, I would have been behind you this entire time. Right. So the question still remains, because right. what kinds of things will you be checking? Right. That's the question. And honestly, what is he going to... Is he going to ask for some sort of you know like baptism record to ensure that they were baptized into christianity right, yeah. like that could be faked sir so what what is he going to be what papers is he going to check listen Brittany. you have a surveillance system and you check things and you have papers and you have documents <laughs> well this is good enough for people by the way oh yeah millions of people this is good enough that for response was like oh yes mm, mm-hmm. gee well all President. the haters all the haters he just said it all you got to do is listen <laughs> well he received an endorsement this week on this muslim ban that came from none other than pat robertson in true christian fashion Pat Robertson commiserated and kind of put himself in a position to understand the woes of Donald Trump on this issue. A poll I heard about yesterday was taken (laughs) among American Muslims as to whether they favored Sharia law over the constitutional system we have now. And guess what? A majority of them said, yes, we favor Sharia law. Now, that isn't something, as Americans, we want. I don't think we want to be cutting off the hands of criminals. I don't think we want husbands to be free to beat their wives. I don't think we ought to uh, stone homosexuals. There are a lot of things we shouldn't do that Sharia mandates. Maybe. And yet, here we have a large group of people that don't want that. And yet, Donald Trump said something about keeping people who have those views out of this country and he has been excoriated all over the world. And uh, so many people, including Republicans, say he's gone too far. But the Donald says, I stand by what I said. So he endorses the idea. He endorses the premise without actually saying, I'm A-OK with this. Because he didn't come out and chastise. He didn't come out and condemn the comments. He just lays it out there, and talks very, uh, with praise of Donald Trump. Oh, the Donald. You know, that's that's a that's a, a term of endearment type of a nickname. You know, it's just, I don't know when I'm finally going to start being surprised and disgusted. I'm always disgusted, but when I'm going to finally be at ease and, and oh, Pat Robertson said that? Yep, sounds like good old Pat Robertson every time he says something. Because I grew up as a child, my parents supported the candidacy of of Pat Robertson in 1988 when he ran for president when George H.W. Bush won the White House. I was in a, in a household that we were, we were a Pat Robertson family because he was a, a good man of God. Mm-hmm. Anyway... So I did a quick search of what Pat Robertson said regarding the proportion of U.S. Muslims that support Sharia law over the Constitution, and I can't find something that says that. I, I'm finding it on sites that I wouldn't trust. Well, it's the same. Donald Trump quoted the same type of poll. 
Okay. So it's probably fucking l- wrong or from like counter current culture news or whatever. Because a Pew r- research link did come up, but it doesn't say anything about that particular thing. The Constitution. So um, I might have to look into it more, but just from this very rudimentary search that I did, I'm not finding. You, you would think that would be big news that would be reported everywhere. Yeah. Because that would be a problem. And I just don't, in my heart and in my gut, I don't believe that to be the case. Anyway, moving on, there has been a lot of talk this week about a brokered convention and these backroom meetings about a brokered convention within the Republican Party. There is a conspiracy theory, which I think eh, might have a little bit of merit, that they are trying to squeeze out Donald Trump and Ben Carson. And a brokered convention, because mainly we only deal with this every four years, and some years, some election cycles, a brokered convention isn't even talked about because there is a clear front runner, and all of the other candidates have dropped out by the time the primary comes along. Like last time, there was no need for talk of a brokered convention because Mitt Romney was the guy. So I think it would be good to kind of have to explain a, a little bit about what a brokered convention is moving forward so you know when it's mentioned. CNN put together kind of a, a, a very compacted explanation that I think is, is very, very useful. If you talk about brokering, what that means is that all of these delegates are no longer tied to what the vote was like in their state. So now they can start wheeling and dealing to say maybe candidate A and candidate B can combine their delegates for one of them, or maybe candidate C and candidate D could do this sort of thing here. No matter how you do it, eventually somebody gets enough people behind them to get over 50%. And as soon as that happens, that becomes the candidate here. It doesn't matter that it was brokered. That's the candidate. So you're right. The Trump contenders out there are worried about this process, saying, what if this is a way of pushing him aside because the establishment doesn't want him? It could happen. Let's look at how it might happen. Let's say that Trump came in and that, in fact, when he arrived, he had more delegates than anybody else. We're not saying this will happen. But if it did happen, and let's say that even though he had more, he did not have enough to win outright. And more importantly, what if party leaders said he is at the ceiling of his support, he cannot get enough to win. Then they could hurry up that process of the dealing and the the wheeling backstage and basically make sure that somebody who could be a consensus candidate emerges. In that case, you could have Donald Trump or, frankly, anybody else who came in with the most delegates coming in still being the loser because somebody else was selected. But this is all theory right now, Jim. We have no idea if he's going to be the candidate. We have no idea if any of this is going to happen. We have to see some actual voting before we see if a brokered convention is even possible. If that clip wasn't really clear on what the brokered convention is, um, 538 kind of has a little blurb here about it. Oh, I'd love to know what uh, they have to say. So they say a broker convention is one historical form of a contested convention when state party leaders or union bosses acted as brokers for their delegates in the convention horse trading. Those bosses and brokers no longer exist, so the candidates will have to do the negotiating, along with leaders like the RNC chairman Priebus, House Speaker Paul Ryan, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, etc., who can hope to use their clout to sway delegates. Of course, there's no recent historical precedent for that since all the big rule changes, so no one really knows how this would work. 
Right. Well, it's kind of, I think in many ways, it just goes to show that we are in uncharted territory here because we have not so much Ben Carson anymore, but we have these outsiders politically who have never held office, who have never been in the process that are leading overwhelmingly. And I think it's giving the party, it's problematic for the Republican Party because the Republican Party is not just a vehicle by which People are elected. It is, it is an organization that has messaging, and it has uh, an image. It has a brand that it needs to protect. There are more. It's more to it than just than just uh, like a democratic process. Right. So the five thirty eight staff sometimes does these chats where they you know title an article and then they all their staff kind of has a conversation about it. It's really helpful to read you know smart people talking about things. Yeah, we'll put this on the Facebook page as well. And so they had a discussion about this brokered convention, and someone said someone explained to me how a contested convention would come about. And Nate Silver's in the chat, and he responded, "It requires two basic ingredients. First, Trump stays in the race but hits the ceiling in his support. Anywhere from twenty percent to 35 percent of the vote or so would do this second the gop establishment is torn between resigning itself to ted cruz and some other choice most likely marco rubio both of these things seem entirely possible to me according to nate silver right well it's also keeping in mind that when he says that he hits a ceiling that means if like if his ceiling is 60 percent the republican party is fucked However, if his ceiling is 39% or 28% or something less than 51%, then the deals could be made. But, I mean, the closer to 50% he gets, the harder those deals are going to be made, are going to be to be made. So, anyway, this week all this talk had happened, and Ben Carson was on with George Stephanopoulos to talk about this threat of a brokered convention and these backroom dealings. And Ben Carson had he eventually he threatened to leave the GOP. And, you know, you had some strong words for party leaders on Friday responding to that story in The Washington Post that John Carl mentioned. It said that they'd come together to discuss a brokered convention strategy and to stop someone like Trump or perhaps you. And you then put out a statement saying if this was the beginning of a plan to subvert the will of the voters, replace it with the will of the political elite, I assure you Donald Trump will not be the only one leaving the party. Are you prepared to make good on that threat? Well, one of the reasons that, that I got into this is because I heard the frustration in, in people who are so tired of backroom deals, of, of subterfuge, of dishonesty. And, you know, if that is the case, then, you know, I'm out of here. Now, I have subsequently spoken to Reince Priebus. He told me those are routine meetings. They have them all the time. This was no different than any of the others, that the last thing that they would engage in backroom dealing but you know the jury's out we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on things i i don't really think it really matters at this point because i think he's seen he's had his 15 minutes of fame he's had his very brief moment in the sun and he is now on the downturn and his support is dwindling very rapidly Right. Well, and even in this chat, um, you know, Nate Silver apparently thinks it's going to come down to uh, Trump, Cruz, 
and, and Rubio and Rubio yeah. that are going to kind of rise to the top. So that's not including Ben Carson, obviously. And this is one of the reasons I think the debate is going to be entertaining because you have two candidates that are vaguely threatening yeah. to run independent. Right. And that's going to be addressed. That will be brought up. Well, that's the other thing that happened this week that we haven't talked about because it's so new. And that is that Ted Cruz now leads Donald Trump in Iowa in the polls. And up to this point, there has been kind of a uh, a ceasefire that has been called, an informal truce, if you will, between Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. And Donald Tr Trump has always said, well, as soon as he attacks me, I'm going to hit him hard. Tremendous. It's going to be tremendous. You know, he does his whole fucking thing. And... And some audio was released this week from a fundraising event. And Ted Cruz was kind of laying out for his supporters what will happen and what he sees down the line. And this is what he said about Donald Trump. The final two candidates I'll discuss are Trump and Ben Carson. Both of them I like and respect, both Donald and Ben. I do not believe either one of them is going to be our nominee. I don't believe either one of them is going to be our president. I think both of them, their campaigns have a natural arc. And with both of them, I think gravity is pulling them down. We've seen that. Carson is further in that descent. But I think in both instances, in particular, you look at Paris, you look at San Bernardino. It's given a seriousness to this race that people are looking for who is prepared to be a commander-in-chief, who understands the threats we face. Who am I comfortable having their finger on the button? Now that's a question of strength, but it's also a question of judgment. And I think that is a question that is a challenging question for both of them. So my approach, much to the frustration of the media, has been to bear hug both of them and smother them with love. Because, because I think... Look, people run as who they are. I believe that gravity will bring both of those campaigns down, and I think the lion's share of their supporters come to us. Say what you will about this, uh, this mook, Ted Cruz. He's a smart guy. He understands and is very calculating in his ability to foresee the political process that is coming down this cycle. He... He really has his hands around it. Yeah, and that is unfortunate because he's so unlikable. Yeah, he well, he's unlikable even in his own party. <laughs> he is he's a he is a a polarizing. No one likes this. It's not even polarizing. Not like some like him, really like him and some really hate him. Right, no. It's just no one likes the guy cuz he's he's an unlikable character. Which that's really telling because similar to Donald Trump in the way that he treats people, a lot of this job is being able to work with people, right? You need to be able yeah. to, you know, build these relationships, these working relationships, and if everyone dislikes you because you're a turd, then Well, it's I think that's where he and Donald Trump have a lot in common, which kind of leads us, thank you, Brittany, beautifully segued into this next clip. Donald Trump talked about this because this is kind of the foray into the attacks that Donald Trump, that you might start seeing during this next debate on Tuesday. Donald Trump, in the same interview we played earlier, on with Chris Wallace on Fox News, he probed a little bit about this tenuous ceasefire between the two candidates and Donald Trump answered in 
in not unexpected fashion. Let's turn to the campaign. You lead in almost all the polls, except for a couple in Iowa where Ted Cruz is slightly ahead of you. This week, Ted Cruz apparently told some supporters that he questions your judgment to be president. What do you think of Ted Cruz? Well, he was, do you notice he said it behind my back? Somebody taped that conversation. He said it behind my back. And, and that's okay. Look, I don't be... think he's qualified to be president. Why not? Because I don't think he has the right temperament. I don't think he's got the right judgment. What, what's wrong with this temperament? Well, you look at the way he's dealt with the Senate, where he goes in there like a, you know, frankly, like a little bit of a maniac. You're not, never going to get things done that way. Look. I built a phenomenal business. I'm worth many, many billions of dollars. I have some of the greatest assets anywhere in the world. You can't walk into the Senate and scream and call people liars and not be able to cajole and get along with people. He'll never get anything done, and that's the problem with Ted. <laughs> Is he fucking kidding? Is not he's joking, right? He's a jokester. It's kind of aggressive. Well, it's also he's explaining himself. You can't go into the Senate and call everybody a liar and a loser and then expect to get stuff done. It's exactly what he does. It is precisely how he acts. Yes. How is how is Ted Cruz's behavior as an unlikable United States senator any different than how Donald Trump comports himself? On a daily basis on the campaign trail. Well, this is what happens when you are a narcissist. Uh, <laughs> right? So it, dri he, it drives me crazy. So he can't see the the parallels because he believes that he's different and that he's held to a different standard. Right. Because of his inflated ego. But I think it's it's also interesting because, you know, Ted Cruz has been his buddy this whole time. Oh, hugging. Right. And they couldn't get enough love between the two of them. And, and he always said there would come a time when that would end. Right. And apparently that's now. Well, this is... <laughs> I, I really do think that this is a... A just a little bit of a sample is of to what we're going to see on Tuesday. And now would be your time, Brittany, to give your prediction about what a shit show this particular debate is going to be. Okay, now's the time. Now's the time. Okay, so can I talk about who made the main stage now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, wow. Here are the candidates that made the main stage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, Ben Carson, John Kasich, and Carly Fiorina. Mm -hmm. And at the undercard debate, these people that should drop out soon <laughs> because they right. are always in the undercard debate. Well, keep in mind that as people drop out, their supporter, their supporters have to go somewhere. They have to trickle in this case, up to someone. And like if Pataki's running at 1%, each one of those candidates is running between 1% and 3% in the polls or 1% and just less than 3% in the polls. Their support will have to go to somewhere. And if, if, if like a Pataki, his support, it's going to go to a more moderate candidate where Santorum, I, I guess I'm naming them without you. Go ahead. Okay, so Lindsey Graham, Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and George Pataki. So the qualifying criteria for this debate was an average of 3.5% support nationally or 4% support in Iowa or New Hampshire. So those they four candidates yeah. don't have that. So 
having said all that, their support's going to have to go somewhere, and it will likely split between the two who are on the far right and the other two who are just not quite as far right. <laughs> you know, so the interesting thing is you would expect that these candidates that are consistently in the undercard debate to be, you know, not doing very well in the endorsement primary. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. In fact, Rick Santorum is the only one that's doing terribly. He only has one endorsement from a representative. Right. And, well, Lindsey Graham isn't doing too great either. He has five points because a senator has endorsed him. Right. John McCain. Yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, I would think that, that uh, George Pataki is probably doing relatively well just based on the fact that he was the New York governor. And it's pretty entrenched. Is that not the case? He's not even listed here. So I think that means wow. he doesn't have an endorsement. So Mike Huckabee... Mike Huckabee has he's in fourth with his endorsements. He has twenty five points. Well, that would take a little wind out of the sails of of Nate Silver, who thinks that endorsements make the race. And I was always surprised by that. I don't think that to be the case. So right, because Mike Huckabee has been endorsed by a governor, two senators, and it looks like five representatives. Right. Well, this debate is going to be kind of a make or break deal. Not just that it's the last debate of the year, but. It is, it's it's shit or get off the pot time for a lot of these guys, Jeb Bush included. Tuesday is the fifth and final Republican debate of 2015, and there's one constant. Donald Trump is at center stage because of his steady lead in the national polls. Here's the polls that right before the first debate. Trump, Bush, Walker, Rubio, Carson. That was way back in August. Let's slide the calendar, jump forward, debate number two. You notice Trump's still on top. Then it was Carson, Bush, Cruz, Rubio, Walker gone. Now, number three, Trump, Carson, Rubio, Bush, Cruz. A little bit of consistency here, especially these two big at the top. Then before number four, we come over here. Um, hello, Bush way down here. Trump, Carson, Rubio, Cruz, Bush. We head into the fifth debate. Just drop the remote. Leave it right here on CNN Tuesday night. Uh, Bush is still way down here. You've got Trump and now Cruz has moved up in the second place. Uh, Ed O'Keefe, you spent a lot of time with Governor Bush. Um, I'm new at this, um, but uh, I don't think you're supposed to be going that way. No, he's on a sled ride right now. And, uh, he, and it has a debate Tuesday night that is... Absolutely, defining. absolutely critical. I mean, every one of these has been for him because of how uh, poorly he mismanaged his expectations coming out of the first one. But uh, the big, big sense in, in, in Bush world that he absolutely cannot afford anything that resembles a gaffe, has to at least sustain himself, you know, keep it status quo, find a way to point out that Trump is someone he considers unserious and unqualified to be president, but absolutely, positively, don't do anything that, that would upset the apple cart even more. I mean, he continues to be on this side. He saw a modest 1% improvement uh, in that Des Moines Register poll. He is sitting at about fourth or fifth place in all of these polls. The way his team sees it, you know, we'd rather be there than, than lower than that, but you've, hit, you've pretty much hit the floor. Sure. So the question remains what does he do does he try to come out and make some last ditch effort to to make a name for himself and to leave a lasting positive impression on the american uh, gop voter or does he try to fly under the radar and wait uh, in, in kind of a way of a battle of attrition and wait until the other candidates fall off and then swoop in there I would say, knowing uh, Jeb Bush as little as I do, but you know as much as I do, I think he's probably going to try to do the fly under the radar thing, and I think that's a mistake. 
I think he needs to get out there and really mix it up and trash Donald Trump, go out there and make a mark uh, of the, the reasoned candidate for the GOP. And that's one of the reasons I think it's going to be um, like entertaining, a, a drama filled <laughs> night because they are going to bring up the ban on Muslims right? and people are going to be asked to take a position on it. And if people start attacking Trump, Trump is going to attack them back and it's just going to turn into a complete S show. Yeah. So yeah, that's entertaining uh, for the show. <laughs> Also kind of just disappointing for the country, but you yeah, know, that's for okay. Sure. All right. Well let's let's move off of US elections and let's Well All right. Um I wanted to talk about the uh, Donald Trump Twitter exchange that he had with a prominent Saudi billionaire who is a member oh, yeah. who is a member of the royal Saudi family. Right, because you know, everybody loves Trump. Trump he gets along with everybody. And he wants to be president of the United States, who's going to be uh, the the head. I mean, other than the Secretary of State, he would be a head. He would be the head of our diplomatic operation, mm-hmm. being that the Secretary of State works directly for the president. So Al Walid bin Talal. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. He tweeted Donald Trump and he said, you are a disgrace, not only to the GOP, but to all of America. I'm assuming he's talking about the Muslim ban. Yes. Yeah. Withdrawal from the U.S. presidential race as you will never win. And Donald Trump tweeted him back Uh. and said, dopey prince wants to, and he mentioned him, his Twitter handle, wants to control our U.S. politicians with daddy's money. Can't do it when I get elected. Hashtag Trump 2016. So (laughs) this is... Master diplomat, Donald Trump, everybody. This is just a glimpse of his international relations on display here. Yeah. This is how they will be taken care of. And along this same line, Donald Trump was scheduled to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. He was going to make a trip to Israel and... Then Netanyahu criticized Donald Trump's ban on U.S. Muslims. Benjamin Netanyahu (laughs) criticized it. And king of the Jews, Benjamin Netanyahu. (laughs) Right. And so Donald Trump canceled his trip to go and visit with him because he was criticized. His his statement was criticized. So he canceled and said that he's going to um, put it on hold until he becomes president of the United States. So. We have someone who is criticized and he lashes out and is insulting and then he just cancels the trip, flat out cancels it and won't even go talk to the person. Douche chill. Yes. <laughs> that is not presidential. Yeah. At all. Right. You, you need to be the bigger person because it's not just D- Donald Trump who happens to be in the office of the presidency. You're representing a, a time-honored tradition and precedent of being the bigger person, the president of the United States. There is a certain level of decorum that needs to be maintained with any head of state across the globe. I mean, it just It's not just that our, pre- oh, our president, it's extra special. It's that any head of state of any country needs to act with a legacy in mind with history in mind and how they're going to be perceived. And I don't think he has that in him. What a prick. So let's move on to 
something related to this Saudi prince. Saudi Arabia, in a historic election, women finally get to vote. Uh, Kind of. For the first time, Saudi women will be allowed to vote and run for office in historic municipal elections on Saturday. The country has faced widespread criticism for its lack of equal rights. Saudi Arabia is the only country where women are not allowed to drive and require permission from male family members to travel, work, or marry. So what's behind the right to vote? The country has no elected legislature. It remains an absolute monarchy governed according to an ultra-conservative interpretation of Sunni Islam. The late King Abdullah introduced the country's first municipal elections in 2005, but only men were allowed to participate. The message that we receive as Saudi women is that uh, we are um, not counted for, we're not worthy, we are not complete citizens. Saudi women campaigned for the right to participate in the 2011 elections. A few days before the vote, Abdullah announced that women would be able to participate in 2015. He died in January, and his successor, King Salman, has stuck to his plans. About 131,000 women have registered to vote, compared to 1.35 million men. Though voter registration is low across the sexes, Saudi Arabia's native population is around 21 million. So what powers will the winners hold? The municipal elections are for local councils that deal with local issues like streets, public gardens, and garbage disposal, so they don't have much power. Two-thirds of the 284 council seats are elected. The rest are appointed by the Minister of Municipal and Rural Affairs. About 900 women have registered as candidates, compared to 6,000 men. And women candidates face a unique challenge when trying to appeal to the large proportion of male voters. Because of the country's strict separation of sexes, women candidates can't directly interact with male voters. So many female candidates are using social media tools like Snapchat and Twitter to get around the rule. So what's next? Saudi women will face the same challenges as governing bodies worldwide, equal representation in elected positions. Women still make up only a small fraction of the world's elected officials. According to the World Bank, only 23% of seats in national parliaments are held by women. So thank you for that, Wall Street Journal. The patriarchy's dead. (laughs) Mark, he may stop (laughs) listening again now. Uh, I would say this, that, you know, I, I was unsure how to feel about this Saudi election. And I, at first, great, oh, it's awesome, they're getting to vote. And it's kind of like, well, one thing, they're not voting, this isn't a national, federal election, this is policies on the streets and the public gardens. This is a local municipality election. It's like voting for the dog catcher. It's not voting for anything of any substance. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like... They have a local dog catcher? <laughs> there's a weird... Muslims aren't a fan of dogs. It talks in the Quran about how dogs are filthy and dirty, and there there's a weird phobia about dogs amongst... Uh, Muslims. So that's a tough job then. Yeah, oh yeah. Real, real tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not looked upon very highly. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I you know, I've, I've been, I think ultimately, I don't think this really matters. I don't, I'm not going to give credit to, to the crown for letting women vote when one, they still have to be covered. They, they still cannot drive. They still need permission from a male family member 
to travel or to get a job. This is still a wildly oppressive state. The fact that they get to vote for uh, policies on public gardens isn't, it might be a minor, tiny, minuscule step in the right direction, but come on, really, this isn't, this isn't historic of epic proportions. Yes. Um, You disagree? I wasn't listening to you. (laughs) But so while I wasn't listening to you, I had several like thoughts pop into my head because I'm still thinking about Mark's email on this patriarchy thing. Wow. It really. uh, Well, no, I don't really fucked with you. No, I'm not. I'm not like mad or anything. Oh, she's pissed off. No, I'm it just I haven't thought about it in a while, I guess. And I've always kind of existed and thought, you know, I've never been held back for being a woman, for being a woman. I've never really experienced anything, you know, and then I start thinking about things and I'm like, yeah, I really have, you know, Um, and nothing as bad as, you know, women of Saudi Arabia have to deal with. Um, but I, I wanted to tell one story and I can't because if I did, someone might listen and hear it. So I can't tell that one, but it's real good. And if you want to know it, (laughs) ask me privately. Um, You're just a woman with a small brain, with a brain a third the size of us. It's science. But along that line, (laughs) one time, and you know this story. One time we were playing uh, Wise and Otherwise. Oh my God! Yeah, this was terrible. We, we were the only atheists and known to be atheists at this party that were evangelical. Well, I guess evangelical. They were all Calvinists, but they they were very Christian. I mean, a very observant christian people right it was one of those situations where it was like a a dinner party and all the women went and played like a delicate lady game and then all the men went and played like a more (laughs) involved game and like the women were playing like go fish or something and then um i went with the men and played wise You you were the only woman playing with the men right and i went and played wise and otherwise which is a really fun game if you haven't played it it's my favorite game it's kind of like boulder dash is that how you say it? Balderdash. Balderdash. And it like has sayings, old timey sayings, and you have to like guess what the saying might be. You're trying to get everybody to pick your particular thing that you wrote down. Right. So it involves some strategy. It involves, you know, using language appropriately. You know, they're old time sayings. So you can't be like, I was looking for my iPhone. You need to try to make it fit with the saying. Right, right. So I was the reader, which mean I was I was reading the saying and everyone was writing down what they thought finished the saying. And everyone had to bring up their clues to me and I had to read all of the sayings and, and try to trick people into not choosing the real one. And this guy comes up to me and he hands me his handwritten clue. And he says to me, let me know if you have trouble with that. And he winks at me. And I open up his his clue and it was unrequited love. It had the word unrequited in it. So he thought, oh, little 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 lady here is going to have a trouble with, with these big words that I came up with. Yeah, and he winked at me. He said, let me know if you have trouble with that. And he winked at me. Like that, it, that is so, I, I was livid in the moment, but I didn't do anything. And this has happened several times. Well, I, I don't think it would have been appropriate to do something in the moment. Right. And the, but We were guests well, at that's, someone's no, home. No, that's the thing, though. Would it be appropriate for a man to be like, hey, Dick, I can read that? Yeah, no, I don't think so, because we were guests at someone's home. Okay, that's true. Had that happened here? Had that happened on your turf? 
then you absolutely say, hey, 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 hey. Look, I'm going to call it. Everybody, look over here. <laughs> well, no. And then you call him out. No, because there is something that happened on my turf where I couldn't say anything. That's happened before as well, where I'm caught in these situations where someone is acting inappropriately toward me. And I'm in a position where I can't say anything. And they, maybe then it's because then they're your guest. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I see it. Look, I, 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 I've never experienced it because, you know, I have uh, a mighty, mighty penis <laughs> and I don't have to worry about such things. <laughs> but it's got to be a bummer oh, to go through God. life and people just they treat you differently based solely on the fact not of your merit not of your ability based solely on the fact that you are a woman that's fucked up it's all right it's all right (laughs) it's fine all right no big deal well what better way what better place to stop what a great bookmark and i have a great idea again more ideas just flooding in while i don't listen to you um (laughs) you should listen less to me because you are you are a fountainhead of good ideas right now. Yeah, so I would love to hear from other women, though, because I think this could oh, be... Oh, that's a dumb idea. This could... <laughs> All right, everybody, for Brittany Page. <laughs> I think it would be really interesting to hear some stories about, you know, because I think a lot of people say women just complain, yada, yada, but there are things that women experience that I think men really don't understand or even have I, to think about. I completely agree with that. And it's only been over the course of the last five or six or seven years that have really come to understand that it is a different way of living. You, It's like being a short guy. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm standing next to a guy who's five foot three, and I know several people who are five foot three, they, they have a different vantage point of the world than I have because I'm six foot three. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be the same way. You're treated differently from the time you're a little girl until you're an adult. And it is a different experience altogether. Mm-hmm. So we want to hear from you. That's a good idea, Brittany. Let me know if you have trouble with that. Wink. 657-464-7609. Of course, Email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We want to hear from you. We thank you for listening. We appreciate you. You guys mean the world to us. Maybe you like anonymously sent him me saying anonymity, and that's where he <laughs> like got the idea. That was, that was pre-podcast by a lot. That's true. All right. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, why don't you go to dollamore.com and on the left-hand side of the page, you can click on the Amazon search bar. Do For all your Christmas shopping. Do some Christmas shopping. Do some random gift buying. That is where you do it. Every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news. News. And ridiculous comments. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been... I doubt it. Happy Chris Mahana Kwanzaa.